Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. And so I feel like maybe this is, is this the end of our silver screen spring, a silver screen Sunday? And um, I just want to say that the purpose of this movie is, is purely to explore um, this popular animated movie uh, to illustrate biblical principles uh, that apply to our lives, okay? Um, so let's be clear and upfront about this. We're only using this movie for illustrative purposes uh, and using it to serve uh, as a springboard uh, for learning about God and the truth in God's Word. Uh, this is not a content endorsement, but simply so we could learn from it. We're good? This does not apply, simply imply that we agree with everything that's in it. It's only a tool. Cue music. Get your foot tapping. Ah. So our movie tonight, family, is Despicable Me 3. Um, if you have not seen this movie before, spoiler alert, I will be using some of the clips, but hopefully it's, all, it's available now for purchase, and you can do what you like with it. All right, so Gru is the, the main uh, actor in this, in this uh, animated movie. Uh, he was a former supervillain. And interestingly enough, he used to make jelly. So he's a jelly manufacturer. He was born into a long line of villains, bad people. And then there are the minions. Uh, these are tiny, yellow, childlike creatures that are kind of bent towards doing evil. What's worse is they don't speak English, and they don't even subtitle them in the movie. Gru is transformed from a dark side into the good side. Uh, and he then adopts three beautiful little girls. They enter his life and they melt his heart. And Gru is determined to be a better man. A positive role model, an example to do what is good and right. He, adop he adopts this three girls and, and he marries a beautiful super agent named Lucy. And they join the AVL which is the Anti-Villain League, fighting crime all over the world. This is not to say that this, his old life and tendencies don't get the better of him every chance he gets in a while. 
Let's have the first clip. The year was 1985, and the number one show on TV was... Evil Brat! The show starred young Balthazar Brat as a child prodigy and criminal mastermind bent on world domination. I've been a bad boy. Brat was the biggest child actor of the 1980s, striking a chord with audiences all over the world. But it all came to an end in season three, when... I've been a bad boy! The young star boy? experienced an unexpected boy. growth spurt. The show was canceled. Hollywood rejected him, and Brat quickly plunged into a downward spiral, starting to actually believe he was the character he played on TV. What are you looking at? Leading us all to wonder, where is he now? <laughs> you know what, Clive? Playing a villain on TV was fun, but being one in real life is even better. Heist music! Here he comes! Ow! What? Clive, what are you doing? How is that heist music? Sorry, my bad. There's only one supervillain whose fashion sense is quite that dated. Balthazar Blatt. Blast it! The Dumont Diamond is on that ship. I want every agent in the area off the scene immediately. We're over to here. Agents Crucy are closing fast. Yes! Wait, why? What did you call us? Crucy! You know, Gru and Lucy mushed together. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> I like it, but not a lot. I don't like it. Stop! On the ground!
think we can make it, crew? We can make it! We can make it! Oh, we can! Get ready! Who's bad? Get ready for what? Gru's decision to do good doesn't sit well with the minions. Domestic life isn't their cup of tea. Let's roll clip number two. Hmm? Oh. <laughs> Guys, I don't think you hurt me right. No, 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 no. This does not mean that we are going back to being villains. Okay, all right. I get it. Look, I know it's been a little tough lately, especially with Dr. Nefario accidentally freezing himself in carbonite. <laughs> but our life of crime is over. Ah, now, now, you're with me on this, right? Luca! Bueno? Pinu! Bueno? Lisa Milipo, Pomodoro la Comquit. <laughs> what? What? Uh, what did I say? Comquit? Oh, okay. Pomodoro la Comquit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tu dice Comquit para no. No le pareo. Don't take the tone with me. We're not going back to villainy. Uh, no pirani? Yes, and I don't want to hear another word about it. <laughs> Look, you guys, don't stop right now. There will be consequences. Hey, don't say anything you're going to regret. So the minions leave Gru and pursue a life of crime. They end up in prison, and it doesn't take them long before they're ruling the roost and causing havoc. Meanwhile... Gru and the Anti-Villain uh, League have, a far big, have far bigger issues to deal with. Supervillain Brat is attempting to steal the world's biggest diamond. Cue clip number three. Oh la la, you have been duped. <gasps> what? We have? Yes. By me! <gasps> but what is... Oh, oh. oh no! Should I say, je suis <laughs> Yeah!
Gru. What you doing down here? In the dark. Alone? Oh, nothing. Just thinking. You okay? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just... Ah, I don't know. I guess I just feel like... I'm a failure. Like I don't have a purpose anymore. Hey, mister, you are not a failure. If only I could have nailed Brad. So many times I almost had him. But now I'll never get the chance, because I have been kicked to the curb. Gru, you've got to let this go. It's time to look forward. Things will get better, I promise. Now, Brat is an interesting character. He can't let go of the 80s. Anyone that's a bit like that still got a mullet or still got shoulder pads, still playing cassettes? <laughs> side A, side B. It's awesome. Enter Gru's brother, Drew, a brother he never knew, he is everything Gru is not. He's rich, he lives in a mansion on a tropical island, and he has hair. But his long-lost brother was raised by his father, a career criminal and master thief. He sees crime as a family tradition and tempts Gru back into a life of crime. Now that's... Now that he's unemployed from the AVL, the temptation to pull one more heist is almost too strong to resist. But the question is, who is Gru going to be? What is his true identity? Cue of the next clip. Now, feast your eyes on Was he villain? No, 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 not just a villain, but one of the greatest of all time. He was known as the Bald Terror. That's him? Our dad? He was so proud of you and what a great villain you were. <gasps> he was? For me, <laughs> yeah, not so much. To dad, I was just a failure. Never thought I had what it took to be a villain. But now you can help me prove him wrong. Brother, teach me the art of villainy. No. No, no, no. I can't do that. What? But it's our family tradition. You can't say no to that. Look, I'm sorry. I left that life behind me. End of story. Oh. Okay. I understand. Now, in the end, Gru chooses a life of good over evil. He and Lucy defeat the evil brat, and they get their jobs back at the AVL. But Gru's twin brother teams up with the minions to continue the family's tradition of crime, uh, hence setting the stage for more sequels. Now, as silly as this movie may seem on the surface, 
its major characters asks us a deeper question. Who are they? I mean, who are they really? Who are they going to be? What is their identity? When you think about it, Gru and Brett are struggling to find their own identity. They've got a crisis at hand. Down deep inside, they'll be grappling with the question that many of us sitting in this room probably wrestle with every single day. And that's, who am I? In fact, that's the title of tonight's sermon. Who am I? Gru was struggling to decide, is he going to be good or is he going to be bad? Is he going to be a good man of character or is he going to be a con man? Is he going to be a law-abiding citizen or is he going to be a criminal? What is his true identity? Brat is not only stuck in the 80s, but he's struggling to ask the question, the same question, and fails. His identity was stuck in the role that he played in a TV program about 30 years ago. Problem is, his glory days are over. Time, as as it does, marches on and his identity is stuck in a bygone era. Problem is, grew and Brett are the only ones who are are not the only ones who are facing this identity crisis. I'm not talking about just sort of surface struggle. When we ask the question, "Who am I?" It's a crisis. Many of us would struggle with that question, who am I? I'm not just talking about surface identifiers like your name, your address, or your date of birth. I'm talking about your identity at your very core. Who are you truly in your heart of hearts? How do you see yourself? You see, many of us struggle from false identity. An identity that doesn't truly represent who we are. Or whose we are. An identity that has been imposed on us while we've simply accepted it as true, whether we wanted it or not. Perhaps it's an identity we simply settle with or resigned ourselves to to it because we really don't think that we could ever change it. And so we feel hopeless. As you came tonight, you would have received a little card with a pen. Uh, There is purpose to that, so grab hold of it. Because I believe uh, on on one side of it, it's uh, it's entitled Causes of False Identity. And we're going to start off by just identifying three of those areas that we have tended to kind of believe in a false identity. And these are three big areas. Now, there may be more. But I want to start with three tonight. And the first one is others. And this, this may be your parents who said things about you. This may be your friends 
who've also said things, nasty things about you, or your children or your spouse, if you've got them, have said things about you. You see, the culture in which we live in have, has said a lot of things about you. The media says things about you. Oh, you're just like fill in the blank. Why can't you be more like fill in the blank? Why don't you look like fill in the blank? Hey, why don't you dress like fill in the blank? Why don't you talk like and why don't you act like fill in the blank? You don't matter. You're not important. You'll never amount to anything. Just like Gru, we're tempted to relive all of those things, things in th that shape our lives and something that we may never have wanted to be. But the question isn't, who do others think I am? The question is, who does God think I am? Number two, second cause of false identity is pain. Some past hurt has caused you to become angry and resentful and bitter, withdraw behind a shell, and, and this shell kind of semi-protects you. And so everybody can't seem to reach you because of the shell. And because of the shell, the whole world is at arm's length. But what they see is not true. It's kind of like Brad, the villain. The pain of living beyond popularity and continuing to exist in a world or an era was too much. So he molds his identity to that, that could never, that he could never relive. So the question is, who does God think I am in the midst of my pain? Third cause for identity, false identity. Number three is guilt. Write that down, guilt. Some past sin or mistake, error of judgment, some ugly words that were spoken in the heat of a moment that burned in us with a load of guilt and shame. And we look back and at where we've been and the things that we've done, the people that we've hurt and the labels that we put on ourselves to identify us like self-destroying names like stupid, worthless, addict, loser. But the question isn't, the question isn't, who am I in light of my past? But rather, the question is, who does God think I am in spite of my past? Now, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I think this is the perfect opportunity that you are here with us tonight. Because regardless of how you view yourself, and regardless of whether or not you accept Jesus Christ and become a follower of His, today you're going to get a very clear picture of who you could be in Christ. And what your true identity is. Mm, could be in him. Not some false shaped, false identity shaped by others or shaped by pain or shaped by guilt, 
but true identity in Jesus. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want to focus specifically on this verse in John chapter 1. If you turn to that, John chapter 1, we'll be reading verse 12 and 13. I'll be reading from the NLT translation. You good? It's going to be up on the screen. Let's read it together. But to all who believed him and accepted him, am I reading by myself? Oh, okay, sorry, I didn't hear you. He gave them the right to become children of God. Verse 13. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, ooh, but a birth that comes from God. But to all who shopped in the right shop, wore the right clothes, no. But to all who believed him and accepted him. Here's the news. Here's the good news. He gave them the right to become children of God. They're reborn. Of course, we can't return to our mother's room. That'd be really bad for our mums. Or anything resulting from human passion, right? But a birth that comes from God. I love that. You see, all people are created by God, but not all people are children of God. There's a difference. All people are created by God, but not all people are children of God. Aren't you glad you've had a choice? You've been given a choice. You see, to receive the right to be a child of God, you must believe in His Son, Jesus. When we accept Jesus, God accepts us, and we become members of His family. We are reborn, as it says, not physically, but spiritually. And this rebirth changes us from the inside out. Rearranging our attitudes and thoughts, our desires and our motives, being born, being reborn means a change of identity. So what's our identity look like if we're children of God? Good question, you ask. Tonight we're going to look at, quickly, five identifiers of what a child of God is. Now, if you turn your cassette tape that you've got in your hand to side B, you will find five blank spaces. Have your Bible handy as well. It'll be up on the screen. I just want us to kind of really understand tonight that who we are in Christ, right? Good? All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 from the NIV says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new has come or is here. In Christ. That, those two words are so important. It's actually used 140 times in the Bible, in Christ. You realize that in the Bible, Christians are really actually called Christians. For some reason, it's not a word that is used to identify Christians as Christians. 
I think it's only in two versions. But they do use in Christ. It's the most used phrase to describe a follower of Jesus. In Christ. And because we're in Christ, we're made new. The old life has gone and the new has come. I don't know. Let's just take a self-check right now. Like, are you still the same dude or lady that you were about 10 years ago? Like, if you look at your journey, if, you, if you're a, a, a child of God right now, do you look like, are you still the same? Are there still traits of your character that's still there? Sort of that super villainy kind of secret agent? Hmm. Here's an opportunity to take a, a checklist and go, I'm just going to check myself and make sure that I'm in Christ. Cool? I'll say, the first identifier is this. There's a reason, by the way, why the cross is in front of us. I don't want to be center stage tonight. There's a reason why the cross is there, and we'll explain it as we move forward. All right, so here's the first identifier. In Christ, I am chosen. Think about that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, to five says it's all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before the world, before, before He made the world, God loved us and He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family and bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do all along, family, is that that actually gave him the greatest pleasure. Who remembers <laughs> primary school days and you're at the playground and at small lunch, you're going to play a quick game and two sort of People, individuals have taken the leadership of the game, and now you've got to pick a team. Some people get to be picked first, right? And depends on how close you are to the team captains, they'll always kind of pick you first or second. How about the last kid? Were you ever the last kid? hoping that you are not the last person standing there. It hurts, right? It hurts when you feel like you're the last person to be picked. Some of us, our, our lives, actually our lives, we've been hoping to be chosen by someone or something or any group of people, sometimes mold ourselves in ways that we normally wouldn't, just to be accepted. We wear Clothes that we would never wear. We drive cars that we would never drive. We end up buying houses and neighborhoods we don't want to even be in. But we do it to be accepted, right? But the Bible tells us that when we are in Christ, we are chosen by God. 
who are chosen by God. And here's the really amazing thing. He says that he, he chooses us in Christ, catch this, to be holy. <laughs> this is a funny one. Uh, how many of you would get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and how many people say, I am holy? Or how many people get up in front of the mirror and go, holy? <laughs> anyway, do you realize that you are set apart from sin? Not only holy, but it also says, catch this, without fault. Mm. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I want to be able to look myself in the mirror and go, I am holy. I am chosen. I am set apart. It says in his eyes. How is that possible? Because we are in Christ. Jesus makes us and the world acceptable to God. And it's not based on how good you are. It's not based on your performance. It's hard to understand, right? But God's acceptance is a gift that we receive when we are in Christ. All right, secondly, I'm in Christ because I'm chosen. I'm also in Christ because, number two, I am valuable. I'm valuable. Luke chapter 12 verse 24 says this. Jesus says, look at the ravens. Do they plant or harvest the store food in barns? For God feeds them. And you who are far more valuable to him than any birds. Think about it, man. That is, what is something that's of worth to you right now? And if you were to put it on trade me, how much would you fetch for it? There are two things that would typically determine its value, right? Who owns the item and what are you willing to pay for it? So far to say, here's a pair of sneakers. I'm going to put it on trade me. You all can have a go at buying it. You're probably not interested because it's my shoes. But if, what if I told you that Richie McCaw wore it in his training session during the World Cup? Would that make a difference? <laughs> Key all the ladies like, nah. Just saying, just as, a, as an example. <laughs> and this is how I know how valuable you are in Christ because Jesus gave up his life for you. He gave up his life for you. Some of us kind of come to church and we're sitting there and we're like, <laughs> man, that's so cool. You gave up your life for me. <sighs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, man. I'm so grateful you gave up your life for me. Like, that ought to excite us. Um, when was the last time you gave your life up for someone? Hmm. <laughs> the Bible says 
You do not belong to yourself. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. For God bought you at a high price. You know, you want to know how valuable you are? Look at the cross. Can we just dim the lights and do what you got to do creatively for that? You want to know how valuable you are? Look at the cross. You want to know how valuable you are to God? Look at the cross. Friends, nobody values you more than God. He sent his son to die for your sins and mine. You know what? He didn't have to die for us, but he chose to. There hasn't been any greater ransom paid in history for mankind than the ransom Jesus paid for us. So in Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are valuable. And the third one is, in Christ, you are loved. Why don't you say that? I am loved. In Christ, I'm chosen. I'm valuable. I am loved. Check out Jeremiah 31 verse 3. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. Man, what a kind of love is that? For you and for me. It's everlasting and it's unfailing. Think about those two words. Unfailing means his unconditional love. We talk about unconditional love. It's not, I love you if you love me. Or I love you when you act a certain way. Or I love you provided you meet my needs. Or I love you because you're really, you're really good looking. What would happen when you stop looking good? What happens when they don't meet your needs? What happens when they don't act the way you want them to? What happens when they don't love the way you think they should love? God says this, I love you in spite of yourself. And that's what unconditional love is, right? It's His love. We can't love Love like this because we're broken and we're sinful and we make mistakes. But His love is everlasting, which means He loves us consistently all the time. <laughs> so you never have to ask, man, is God going to love me today? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Have you ever thought about this? That the only reason there is love on the universe is because that God is love and that He's created it and deposited 
himself in us. That is the only reason why there is love in the world. It's because God is its creator. And he is love. And so in Christ, I'm chosen, I'm valuable, I am loved. Number four, I'm in Christ because I am forgiven. Why don't you say that with me? In Christ, I am forgiven. Why don't you write that down? Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set you, has set you free from the law of sin and death. You and I may be surprised by the sins we commit, but God isn't. God is not shocked or surprised at all by our behavior. <laughs> he, didn't, he doesn't say, ooh, I didn't see that coming. Think about this. He knows what sins we've committed and the sins we will commit. Yet He chooses to forgive us. It says there is no condemnation. When people wrong us, sometimes we forgive them temporarily, pending good behavior. We kind of say, hey, I'm going to reserve my judgment and wait for the next opportunity for you to do that again. That's not forgiveness. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says this. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. And I will never think of them again. You see, it's in the nature of God to forgive. It's who He is. Notice that in Scripture, in the Old Testament by the prophet um, Isaiah, the reason I wanted to make note of this is because there are some false teaching out there about pop, that's popular in our culture that says that the God of the Old Testament is an angry God. He's unforgiving. And somehow he changed in the New Testament and he became a loving and forgiving God. Nothing could be far from the truth. I want to make sure tonight that we understand. Understand that, that God is the same. God is love. Here's another false teaching that's out there that God is harsh and judgmental. Now that's his followers. <laughs> but that Jesus is nice and loving. <laughs> and so we have this picture of Jesus in heaven and is twisting God's arm and making God do what Jesus wants him to do. Wrong. God is always forgiving. And I know that God forgives me because Jesus paid for my sins. He paid for it with his blood. And so the cross, as we see, we see that we are loved. We see that we are forgiven. And this is the final one, number five. I am in Christ because I am qualified. I don't know if you were in the service when Pastor Matt was here in the evening service, and he talked a little bit about this, this picture that he had in his office about not being qualified. But that's in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this. 
it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. So you're qualified and you're capable, church. You ought to smile about that. (laughs) It goes on to say in verse 6, He has enabled us to be ministers of the new covenant. I would imagine some people will be sitting in here and be like, Hey, Pastor Tico, um, I'm not a minister. I didn't go to Bible college. I mean, ministers kind of get paid to do full-time and they do religious stuff. Right? Wrong. (laughs) Our scripture clearly states this. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. That means God has qualified you. God has qualified you in some way. And so in each of our ministries here at Christ Christchurch, it helps us connect people to this new covenant, which is referring to what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we can help people be in Christ. So it doesn't matter whether you're qualified to be a groundskeeper, to be a cleaner, to be a car park greeter, to be an usher, to be a baker, to be a kids worker, to be a youth ministry worker, to be an e-group leader, it doesn't matter. God has qualified you to do something to further His kingdom and help people realize that their true identity is in Christ. Church, that is what we're here to do. We're going to help people identify the fact that their identity is in Christ. Tell you that if you're in Christ, there is a call on your life to minister. And no, you can't just do anything, which is very clear in this passage. It says that it is not that we think that we are qualified to do anything on our own, but God. Our qualification comes from God. God enables us. He works through us. If you're in Christ, you still believe in the lie that you are not qualified to be a minister. You may be calling God a liar. Any chances that we've brought into that false identity. Maybe because of our past hurts. Maybe something someone has told us. Maybe some guilt or thought. that has prevented you from doing that. Oh, Pastor Tika, you don't know about my past. If you only knew, you wouldn't be asking me to do that. You see, we've all got a past. And if you're not careful, it'll become your identity. We all have a past, but it will not be our identity. Family, our true identity is this, that in Christ, say it with me, you are chosen, you are valuable, you are loved, you are forgiven, and you are qualified. So what's the next step into this next week? Man, we've got two sets of homework, church. This morning, you've got to find your light verse 
your verse that you'll remember. Tonight, here's what, here's what I want to do. On the bottom of your card, I want you to write this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Just write it down. And this week, we're not going to read it because I want you to go home and open up your own Bible and read it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. I would ask you to read this to yourself out loud. Maybe even stand in front of the mirror. Read it so that you could hear yourself saying that. Secondly, if you don't know how to be in Christ or to be a minister of this new covenant, come and talk to us. We'd love to have a chat with you. One of the ways in which we would continue this ministry is that we serve. Come to the red tent. We'd love to see you there. Come and check out what DNA is all about. If you have a spiritual question of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be baptized, or what, it, what does it mean to be baptized? Look, come and see us. Come and have a chat. I believe that God's raising us up to be mature. That for a season, it's okay for us to be child, to be like a baby, a baby Christian. But that God would grow us up to be mature, right? And what does that mean? To have a mature response so that when trouble hits us, we run to God. We don't throw our toys out of the cot. We actually begin to respond to our circumstances according to what God has said in His Word. And here's the third thing I'd love us to do. Why don't you invite a friend who's far from God, a friend that's close to you, that you could bring along to church with you. Because our aim is that they would discover their identity, their true identity in Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.